0: Good morning. This is Brad Ferlin, your Monday host on Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're in historic downtown Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, beautiful morning today. I got up early as I do. Got the sheep fed. Uh, we aren't we aren't lambing this year, so we're not graining. And when you don't grain the sheep, they are less apt to yell at you in the morning thinking they're getting grain so when you go out with the hay and the water they're pretty peaceful and that was how my morning started had an interesting weekend uh, dug a hole in the ice in St. Albans Bay and uh, did a little plunge yesterday I don't recommend that for everyone but gets your uh, blood pressure going and your heart running and uh, it's pretty exhilarating I got in fully and then uh Got out quickly. So that was how uh, things went for my weekend. We have a great show uh today. Um my first guest is going to be Gregory Tetro. He's uh representing Jenna's Promise this morning. We're going to be talking about uh Jenna's Promise and an event that's coming up in a couple days. Then I have Natanya Vanderlaan from Whole Heart. We're going to talk about Valentine's Day and and uh, things like that. And then at ten, we have Dan Marlowe. He's the longtime athletic director for Bellows Free Academy. And we will be talking about the virtue of sports, high school sports, and and recently the societal changes and challenges that we're facing out there. And we'll look for with all three of my guests, we're looking for um solutions, uh not finger pointing, just how can, how can we, uh, move things forward in a positive way? So I want to welcome my first guest, uh, Gregory Tatro. Uh, welcome this morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. And I want to differentiate Gregory from Greg, who is your dad, Greg Tatro. Um, right. and, uh, you are, um, representing the family today. Uh, and we're, we'll be talking about, um, your sister, who um, tragically passed away um, four years ago, and from it, your family um, rose up and are doing amazing things with in, in Jenna's name uh, to help others. And so, maybe you can start a little bit, uh, Gregory, with about um, Jenna's promise and, and sort of how things began.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you're absolutely right. We, uh, we you know, um, my sister Jenna, she, you know, she grew up in a quote unquote uh, normal, uh, you know, family and, and she had a successful school life, had healthy, fulfilling relationships with family and friends and, and others in her community. You know, her life really changed with the prescription of, of opioids, which kind of led her down a spiraling path <clears throat> of substance use, you know, it was kind of at a, a time in, in high school where she was out and with friends, and you know, in, in Vermont, rural Vermont, especially, you know, you go out, you, you party with friends, and as she kind of went through high school and, and, and into more of the college age, you know, this this cycle of of um, you know substance use with these opioids really kind of took over a larger and larger part of her life. It was over a span of about. Six years Jenna went in and out of inpatient treatment. Um, but what we all kind of saw is that this is a cycle that kind of kept repeating. And and we kind of saw how Jenna and, and others uh, on this journey with her at that time never seemed to have uh, enough of the support for long term success and recovery after they kind of achieved the short term sobriety and recovery that they got. Um, and so you know, ultimately, Jenna had been doing really well. Um, she had uh, almost 60 days uh, in recovery, and then she um, relapsed, and that was the the final relapse that she had. And, um, you know, we, we lost her on the 15th in, in two days back in 2019, um, and before she passed away, she'd been talking about trying to help people, and she... she kind of talked to my mother about how she wanted to spend her time, um, helping other people with what, uh, you know, she was struggling with. And she said, basically, mom, you know, when I get out, we're going to help people. And our, our goal, our vision with with this is after she passes, we want to kind of carry on Jenna's promise. Um, and so we, um, named our organization after that. And, you know, we've, the struggle helped us kind of understand, you know, the day-to-day issues that come with having a family member with substance use disorder. And we see these gaps in our system, um, that so many others see as well. Um, but it's culminated in the formation of what we hope to kind of be a, a pathway to, to sustained recovery.
0: Yeah. And thank you for bravely talking about this. I know that, um, it, it never gets easy, I'm sure. And yeah, on that, though, it also sharing really brings us to light that there there are um, big problems out there with drugs, with fentanyl and like. But there is also ways to get help. Uh, I want to. If they're callers, if you want to, um, listeners, if you want to call in, we're 802-244-1777. We're talking with Gregory Tetro of Jenna's Promise. Now, Jenna's Promise, uh, part of what I understand is um, with money from a life insurance, your family was able to purchase uh, Church and Johnson, and you've turned it into what is by all counts an amazing model for a recovery center. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So, you know, we kind of um, have this this model that we think kind of helps provide these essential supports and services that kind of act as, as stepping stones for people to hopefully um be on the pathway towards lasting recovery. So you mentioned the Jenna's House Community Center. Um, the money for Jenna's life insurance um, matched almost exactly the the money for an old Catholic church that had been uh, abandoned up on St. John's Road um, that Jenna was baptized in. She was an altar girl in. You know, we all kind of were raised Catholic. Um, and the idea behind that is that, you know, in the upstairs is an event space, and we bring people in um, uh, from the community as well as people in recovery. So I might be in recovery, you might not be, the person next to us might be, and the person um, across the room from us might not be, but we're all together joining in something. Um, whether it's a sledding party uh, on uh, Martin Luther King Day as well as a, something, a food drive for the food shelf. Um, to kind of help the community and bring the kids together on a day off, whether it's a movie night. We had a Super Bowl party last night. Um, We're all kind of doing that together, and it helps to break down the stigma of substance use, which is, is so pervasive in our culture. And it helps people who are in recovery to make connections again too. We've also partnered with the North Central Vermont Recovery Center, which is a separate organization, but a very, very close uh, friend and, and partner of ours. And they're using the bottom floor as the recovery center. So the things that we don't do at Jenna's Promise, um, like uh, recovery coaching, there's a parents and recovery program, which is just incredible. They have a health and wellness program. They offer free meals uh, to people um, every week um, and, and help with other things, for example, canning and gardening. Um It's really incredible work in the downstairs that they're doing um, as well and and as part of our partnership. And then in the upstairs, like I said, we have these events, we have these things going on, like our open house. We also have um, the two other pillars of our our model, which is recovery uh, residences, as Dad likes to say, a safe place to live. Um, And we're trying to bring people in who are usually fairly fresh in recovery uh, to a place so they're not going back to their old home, seeing their friends. And getting pulled back into that cycle but instead we're we're kind of wrapping them in services and supports to kind of help with that process and then um the third aspect is workforce development so we've actually kind of helped to create um an on-ramp for people to kind of get back into a career focus so they start at jp's promising goods which is a surplus goods store um and it's also something that the community can benefit from as well um it's 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 uh, discounted goods for people to kind of come in and buy, whether it's shampoo or a printer, a, a scratch and then appliances. And they're learning there, the residents, um, as they're kind of stepping into that program, they're learning to um, customer service or learning to help run the register, stocking shelves. And then we have a roasting company and then a cafe that we partner with Tucson's with. Um, and that's a full functioning actual business in the um, in the community as well. And so combined with that and offering these services to the community, we kind of have this really great feedback loop that we're really excited about.
0: Yeah, and one of the things um, with talking with your parents over the years, one of the things that was significant was the stigma around addiction. And these workforce development pieces that you're talking about are having Addicted people in recovery actually in the public eye and, and really humanizing them, which of course is proper and right. Uh, so it really seems like you're, you're bringing light to something that's been, um, quite a sort of a dark place in, in our recovery world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's something that, you know, we kind of stumbled into some of these ideas and some of these were planned, but you know, Back in the day during the Depression, Franklin Roosevelt uh, talked about how each state at, at a certain point of time was like a laboratory for democracy to see what worked um, in helping to kind of combat the Great Depression back before he became um, president. And I kind of view this as a similar thing where we're this laboratory for a, a different pathway um, for people in recovery. Because if you're looking at the data, you're looking at the overdoses and the deaths. You know, things are not going in the direction that we want. And so sometimes we can't always uh, find that answer immediately, but we're doing our best to kind of help create an answer and to be a model that others could potentially replicate across the state or across the country um, as we're trying to kind of um, figure out this this different way of looking at things.
0: I want to continue just slightly with um, Gregory with... The notion of workforce development and the importance of that in recovery, we there has been a model where people would go to treatment, get out, return home, but then sort of be looking at the four walls. Can mm. you talk a little bit more about the, the the workforce part of it? And it's not just you have the bake shop and and the. Uh, the, um, appliance and the, in the used store, but th- there's more as well. I think your, your business involved with other, uh, men of recovery, um, working from time to time as well.
1: For sure. Um, you know, again, this kind of goes back to some of our experience with, with Jenna, but you're right in that, you know, when people first get out of treatment, they kind of turn, um, necessarily inward. You know, like I, I got Lyme disease a few years back and, you know, when I was not well, I wasn't thinking about, you know, a job or or all those things when I was, when I was very sick and people who are getting into treatment and just getting out, they are necessarily focused inward. As their recovery begins to progress a little bit though, um, you know, there's this aspect of, of people that we see um, working in our program who are they want to get out and start doing something as well. And so with our workforce development program, we we do start, you know, um, we do start soft. You know, we, we start, you know, uh, with some some progressive work experiences over time. The number of hours can increase and they're tailored um, as possible um, to uh career goals or the attainment of experiences, of references. We help with, with uh, the interviewing process, and we're helping to kind of fill in the gaps of the resume um, as well. My sister, you know, she, she was in recovery, and after a period of time, she went and interviewed um, at a local business, and as she walked out of uh, the, the um, place of employment, someone kind of whispered, you know, we'll never hire her. She's a druggie. And that stuck with her. There was that stigmatizing moment where she was considered to be some other, um, as, as far as a potential person to kind of come in and work. And so, by kind of creating these, what they're called, their social enterprises, you know, um, they're helping to kind of make this a safe place to work, as Dad likes to say. Um,
0: yeah, and- what wonderful um, to distinguish the addiction from the, the soul, the person. Yeah. And and you're doing just that as well on Wednesday. Um, you have an event honoring Jenna and her promise. Uh, it's Wednesday, February 15th. Uh, w- what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, so uh, Wednesday is also Recovery Day, which is a statewide thing. Um, and so I encourage anybody watching to go to their, their nearest recovery center. Most people will, will be live streaming that. After the events of Recovery Day are done, Um, Starting about one, we're going to have some food over at Jenna's house. Um, And then at two, we're going to kind of start this this program that I think, um, you know, is going to start with honoring Jenna, the individual. We've had so much feedback from people saying that they wish they had a chance to kind of know Jenna a little bit more. Um, So we're going to kind of tell some stories about Jenna for the first um, part of this. And then we're going to kind of transition to Jenna, her passing and her legacy community in Really kind of, um, it's a heavy day for our family for, for obvious reasons. And I think it's a way for us, our organization and our community to kind of process that weight and use it to propel us forward into something hopeful too.
0: Well, it, it's significant. And I know one of your guests is, uh, former Lieutenant, um, Governor Molly Gray. And yeah. over the years, over the last couple of years for some of the, uh, programming you've done, I, Legislators and, um, and public officials have come in, and they learn each time. This is this is real, and you make it real.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and Molly Gray has been uh, somebody who has has visited multiple times, um, has been engaged with. With our employees, with the program, for us it's not about left or right. It is about, you know, I think that, that substance use disorder in the larger, especially opioid crisis is something that should be nonpartisan. You know, we all want to see this get better in our state. And so we open our doors to, to uh, anybody who's looking to kind of learn a little bit more, engage with policy. And talk about um, the the things that are really helpful in in um, our program, as well as what could potentially be helpful for um, uh, policymakers who are kind of at the table as far as making laws and decisions um, for our state as well. And, and so it be-
0: yeah, it's also an education process about a model that's working. And we talked earlier about how. You know, some typical recovery is just treatment in home, but you, you are putting together this very dynamic. In fact, I understood that you had, um, judicial in, you know, a month or so ago and, and judges are looking at how they sentence, um, you know, rather than incarceration, they could, they can find uh, treatment.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Um, you know, we, we do work with um, a lot of people who are getting out of incarceration and um, helping to kind of give them supports as well. Um, you know, oftentimes people with very specific backgrounds, um, you know, they they clearly would would benefit from the wraparound services offered in our housing program. And then you know we kind of help with with the back end of of getting people kind of back in and and um, participating members of society of of you know being a citizen and so ultimately you know people who are incarcerated you know it it does cost the state um a lot of money and obviously there's a lot of good that's done um as far as people when they when they get out that, that some of these programs line up and we feel like our program also can help people with with housing with workforce development and kind of help get people on their feet as they re-enter society if they have a background in substance use.
0: Great. We uh have a caller John from Moretown. I want to invite you onto the show.
2: Yeah, um good morning. Uh, we know Greg. Um I think too well. Um our son uh died of addiction um uh, a couple years ago. Um so I radically admire here and his wife, who's a real powerhouse. Um, one thing I wanted to say is, um, don't kid yourselves. The hospitals—I'm not going to say any names—they are very, have been disrespectful of addicts. Uh, our son was really badly abused at two different hospitals. Just you know, he was an addict, and blah, blah, blah. and it abuses the family. Um, It was very painful for my wife, the surviving son. So the medical field also has a ways to go learning about addiction. Um, uh, Otherwise, uh, Jenna's promise is great. Our son's, all of his music gear, he was a really great musician. We donated to their music room, and I hope it's helping people recover, Um, but uh, again our hearts are so with uh, jenna's promise and the work they do they're they're unbelievable so thank you greg
1: well thank you so much john and thanks for for uh you know your your support and i'm so sorry for your loss um yeah we've we've experienced you know some some struggles uh in, in the er back in the day you know i think we have uh our, our close allies um, and, and partners, who are often in the ER, have um, at times experienced things that have been less than ideal. But um, I've been I've been um, hopeful in, in hearing about uh, a lot of people are beginning to make efforts the last couple of years, um, you know, almost from the, the grassroots to kind of learn and identify and work with people. Um, in this situation and it, it can be tough and it can be challenging for sure um but i think part of the reason for why this is is happening and this changes i'm hearing about is happening is that so many of us are affected by this you know almost everybody knows somebody or they they've lost somebody close to them whether it's a friend a family member um and when those those wounds are inflicted on our souls you know we can't help but Look at people, um, as they're suffering a little bit differently, I think,
0: too. Yeah. Well, thank you for that call and, and we are sorry for your loss and, and, uh, it is always a learning process and education, um, with, with any of the entities that we work with. Gregory, the events on Wednesday is, is it open to the public? Can people reach out to you if they want to participate? How does that work?
1: Please do. Yes. It's absolutely open to the public. Um, I think that we'll, we'll open our doors at 2, like you said. If people want to come a little earlier, we'll be starting right at 2. And if people want to reach out, um, they can email me uh, at gregory at jennaspromise.org um, or dial me uh, directly at 802-324-1098. would love to answer any questions or help facilitate that. It'll be at 117 St. John's Road in Johnson, Vermont at the Old Church.
0: Yeah, it's an amazing facility, and uh, Johnson, Vermont, has quite a bit of recovery. We, we have, uh, there is um, Teen Challenge, a Teen Adult Challenge um, is in your community. They um, have workers that go with you. Um, I, re- I really want to thank you again, Gregory, for being on the show this morning, for your bravery, for the good that you do, and, and really ultimately for saving lives. Um, we appreciate all of that.
1: Well, thank you so much for the chance to talk about this, and um appreciate the, the opportunity.
0: Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group,
1: We're more than just radio.
0: Good morning. This is Brad Furlan, your Monday host for Vermont Viewpoint here in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Um, we've got a great show this morning. We were talking with Gregory Tetro with Jenna's Promise. Um, and we're moving now to um, Wholeheart, um, which is a Vermont-based organization. Um, my good friend, Natanya Vonderlander joins me in studio so nice to have have you here uh, natanya so welcome
3: thank you brad good to be here
0: yeah so um i'm going to start with something um that uh kicked off last year when um elizabeth von trapp came into studio the um she is the granddaughter of, of the von trapp family and um i've known natanya for a few years now and and uh I learned a couple of years ago, I don't, I think the timeline that you were, um, gonna have a baby and, yes. uh, we, my daughter and I got you a gift, but we haven't seen you in all this time. I'm glad that your son, uh, Luther, Luther has not gone to college now.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a fun surprise.
0: So this is something for, uh, Luther that we've been, uh, holding for quite some time. Should
3: I open it now? Yeah, you
0: can bring it right out if you want.
3: Oh, Oh, it's a little, a little dog.
0: It's a, actually a little lamb. It's a little lamb. (laughs) It's a little lamb dog. (laughs) So my
3: first guess was lamb that, yes, it's, it's a very cute lamb.
0: This is made by the daughter of one of our, uh, one of Chelsea's teachers and, uh, how
3: And, you know, it's so funny because Luther's making all the animal sounds right now. And so that is one of his favorites.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So I'm glad that he finally can get it.
3: Thank you, Brad.
0: So can we talk a little bit about um, just for our listeners who don't know about Whole Heart? Let's let's just give them a a briefing on uh, the wonderful things that you do.
3: Yeah. Well, Whole Heart is an organization that convenes space for um, practice. We're a relational organization, and um, our catch is living on the learning edge. So how to, you know, the name says it all, make space for your whole heart. We live busy lives, and um, finding that spaciousness is what we're all about, and that shows up in different ways, and so sometimes it's, holding space for a retreat. Sometimes it's walking alongside organizations um, that align with our values to let them know, like you're not alone in this. Um, We also do mentoring and like the list goes on, we're very creative and organic space that grows alongside
0: our community. And you're very global, uh, and I, I have participated in calls that you have, um, most of the year and zoom calls where people can be in Vermont. They can be all across the U.S. and they can be in, you know, many other countries in the world.
3: Yeah. And you know, it's so fun because the wellness call, which you're mentioning every Thursday at noon, we meet totally for free for anybody who wants to show up. And that was actually a product of when everything shut down. We were wondering, how do we hold space in all of this? And it was, it was virtual. And we will have on any given call, uh, you know, Lots of local friends um, from Vermont, but also all across the United States. We have people from Texas, Washington State. Um, we have friends from Europe and the Middle East who come on. It's really just an incredible space where you can meet absolutely anybody.
0: It is remarkable. And and when you say um, shutdown, we're really talking about um, when people were home, COVID was mm-hmm. rampant. And yet... For an hour a week, people could find this meditative outlet where they could. Um, and and can you talk a little bit more about the format, the, the poetry, the music, the, the prompts?
3: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's still going strong. You can still show up any Thursday. Um, the format is really simple. We show up together, um, create space to hear everyone's voice. There's often... Um, a hello and where are you coming from and that's followed by uh, invitation of the body let's invite our bodies in and um, then a focus piece and as you said that could be a song it could be a poem um, it could be a quote and uh, some time for reflection and then some time for small groups and that varies it could be a group of three a group of two Um, yeah and then the shared practice asking what are we giving to each other how are we holding ourselves and each other in this space and and what are we taking into whatever follows this hour and that that's really the core of why we show up is because this is something we hold together it's not you it's not me it's it's what happens when we come together in community to really um, support and lift each other up by our practices
0: and you can find wholeheart on the web and and look at these um these thursday and and sign up for it and like Natanya said it's free. It was when I first started, I was a little bit nervous they, these were people I didn't know they were from all over yet you quickly gain a comfort and a trust, and you have some tenets of of sort of how it works, what, what are some, some of the guiding principles that, that make it work?
3: Uh, yeah, so you're n- naming our touchstones, right? Those are our agreements, um, which have been kind of curated uh, from Courage Work, um, the Center for Courage and Renewal. So the first is to be present, um, to speak from your heart, to um, practice confidentiality, and um, this question of holding yourself and each other—how are we holding ourselves and each other?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's just very, very remarkable how it works. And um, it—if you want to um, take a break from the world for an hour, I, I, I um, strongly recommend it. That's...
3: And for those who don't have availability or space at noon, we have a ton of people that sign up um, just to receive the Monday email yeah. and maybe it's just the poem or the song and uh, invitation that you take with you into your week so that's an option as well
0: yeah I've enjoyed being introduced to some um, poets that I didn't know and some music that I didn't know and um, being able to sort of build on that it's, yeah. it's quite wonderful um, so you have um, your we, one of the reasons I brought you on Valentine's Day um, it's a Celebrated widely. Um, sometimes it can be, well, many, most times it's quite joyous. Um, sometimes it can be hard though. Mm -hmm. Um, people, you know, it, it sort of runs the gambit. Um, but you do things with Valentine's Day wholehearted. It's, it's quite appropriate. Uh, part of it (laughs) is, is a fundraiser that you're in. Um,
3: oh yes. So Valentines of Gratitude are actually my, um, favorite appeal. Um, every year we create time to one like collectively curate a valentine, uh, celebrating someone in the community, um, an artist or maker that we're in relationship. And so the actual visual of the valentine is always coming from someone who we've worked with, someone we um, really appreciate and see as a wholehearted member in the community. This year it's Sasha Fennell of Homebody Vermont, and she's just an incredible, incredible... um, black um, artist and yoga teacher who does a lot of really powerful work in the area. And it's just this gorgeous photo of ferns unfurling. And the question, um, sometimes we'll have a quote this year, it's a question, is what's unfurling in you? And the idea is to invite gratitude. Is there someone in the world you're grateful for? Is there... um, someone who's really um, touched your heart or you just like to say hey thanks for being there and uh, people sign up for either kits um, for $25 you can ask us to send a Valentine to someone for you um, or we'll send you a kit of three Valentine's and um, put in that like little stickers and it's it's fun it's fun I know I love the kit option because I get to kind of DIY it um, but yeah it's a space where people can not only give to those they love, but also give back to our work. This is uh, an appeal where all the proceeds, like 100%, goes to our scholarship fund. Access and um, just creating space is really at the core of our work. And being able to invite whoever wants to show up is what Whole Heart is about. Um Oftentimes, wellness—the wellness, wellness industry—is really niche, and we're really focused on appealing to more than just like those who can afford um, like a retreat. Um, we want everybody to be able to access wellness and wellness practices, and we're only nine hundred and fifty dollars away from our ten thousand dollar match. So.
0: So there's an opportunity to contribute. (laughs) Yes. And that is at www.wholeheartinc.org slash 2023 dash valentine. And we'll repeat that a little bit later as we go through this. Let's, let's sort of go to what might happen on a a Thursday. Um, Maybe a, a poem reading. Would you like to do a poem for us? And then we'll, we'll talk about what that might mean.
3: Yeah, I'm always here to read a poem, and I'll share last week's poem with you. Um, For Black History Month, we are uniquely sharing um, black artists, uh, and this is one of my favorite poems, period. Um, Lucille Clifton, won't you celebrate with me? And to be fair... um, (laughs) I'd have to say maybe a good 70% of the poetry that shows up is, is coming from the global majority. So here we are. Won't you celebrate with me? Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model. Born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see to be except myself? I made it up. Here, on this bridge between starshine and clay, my one hand holding tight my other hand, come, celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and has failed. That's Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me? And the invitation to reflect is: uh, What, what are you celebrating? What is your starshine and/or clay today? What are you holding tight? And as we often do, uh, we have the poem, and as poetry does, maybe there's a word that grabs you. Maybe there's an image. These invitational prompts are invitational. Um, what, what comes up for you, Brad?
0: Yeah, well, one of the things that I have loved about doing the whole heart on Thursday is I'm, I'm often, um, uh, nudged in a way that I wasn't thinking, you know, um, uh, it's always a surprise in a way. Mm-hmm. And when it, when the music plays or, or, what, you know, or a poem is read. And one of the things that I love about Whole Heart and I love about this poem too is that, you know, we, we all have a gift. We all have this soul and we all have this, um, commonality of something that is just pure goodness. Yeah. And when we put sun and water and, um, to the seed of that, um, like through the Whole Heart process, then collectively we're we're all growing and finding those gifts. Hmm. I think it's so important. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
0: So we, um, you have also. I, I uh, participated in a retreat up in Greensboro at a really interesting place with um, two sisters, as in religious, um, uh, and. We got to sort of um, feel the essence of the land, and and you've done this other places as well. Can you tell us more about that?
3: Oh, yeah. So there's a broad range of retreat spaces we hold. I'm wondering if you're talking about an intergenerational retreat Um, or the intergenerational exchange and – Greensboro?
0: The well, Greensboro Monastery? Yeah, at the monastery. And this yeah. is where they, there was sort of a gathering around a, a, a little circle, and then people went off into nature and were alone. Oh, the earth circles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it was, awesome. it was very remarkable.
3: Yeah, yeah. So um, as I said, we convene a variety of spaces, and the core of the earth circles is really to listen to earth Um, We've been doing a lot of relational justice work and really exploring the relationship that shows up um, between us and all living things. And so um, when you're on the land, what speaks to you? Um, And we actually did a similar practice at your farm. Uh, Was it two summers ago?
0: We
4: did, Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, where we took some time to say hello and just convene together, and then we spent some time just out on the land. Um, I can very fondly remember just like the company of sheep and the green pastures and the lake, Um, the incredible view of the lake that you have there in St. Albans. And
0: it it was very interesting because there was sort of some spontaneous outpouring of emotion um, within a very trusted environment. Um, so there's always, you know, with whole heart, um, you don't know who's going to show up for a call or Mm -hmm. for a retreat or, Mm -hmm. or what, but collectively there's just this beauty of, of everybody getting together, trusting that it's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. That's part of your premise.
3: I think that, um, the invitation and welcome is core. And really believing that we can never manufacture or assume trust, but we can collectively build it together. So like, I'm wary of even sometimes using the word trust, but allowing people to feel safe and finding out what's needed for that uh, is really, really central and something that I've found... um, as a Haitian-American woman, to um, really be growing in a unique way um, in our circles and spaces.
0: So you can support this effort. Um, They are in in sort of the last throes of a Valentine appeal. Uh, It's slash. 2023 Valentine probably find it on your website too or uh, yeah. and there's there's ways on their website uh, at Wholeheart Inc to to contribute um and to sign up for these calls if this sounds like something you need that that hour or that weekend or or some t- they do longer term um events um through the year um it's a little it's soul searching there's a piece about it and uh It definitely, um, if, if it sounds like something that you need in your life, um, you can go to Whole Heart Inc. uh, website to find, find out about it. You, um, do a lot of the searching for the, for the poetry and the music. Is that primary, one of your primary duties or is it collective with your team?
3: So, um, I'm the director of development and community engagement. So my work is a good chunk programming and also some development but i also have just like a really deep heart for poetry and uh it's easy for me to get very carried away and so i <laughs> I, <laughs> I do do a good chunk of the selecting of poetry um but also work very closely with holly um wilkinson r e d who also just loves all the poetry and inspiration. And so we, we tag team. It, it really is an ebb and flow. Sometimes I'm picking most of the poetry. Sometimes it's her. Um, but we kind of go back and forth there.
0: We have two minutes. Uh, do you have a very favorite poem, very favorite poet? I know the one that you read is up there. Are there others that speak to your heart?
3: Oh, wow. Um, there are so many others that speak to my heart. Um, but... A pairing that I've really been enjoying are um, James Cruz and Danusha Lamaris, um, who have been holding a space called Poetry of Resilience. I'm um, just throwing out all the names today. Um, but <laughs> their their anthologies and poems are often focused around hope and kindness and really have rocked me in powerful ways. Also, uh, another Vermont local Julie Codwaller Stope is one of my favorite poets and a friend that I would um, definitely recommend.
0: And your heart opened up a little bit more, a little bit more it's an understatement. Um, you and your husband had a baby, Luther. Yeah. Um, and um, so being a mom, we got one minute.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Being a mom has actually invoked a lot of poetry from me. I feel like Luther is a teacher of sorts, and being a mother, it's a whole new world in which I'm learning a lot about pace and patience and uh, listening in a regard that's really informed my work in a beautiful way.
0: It's a, it is a beautiful thing. We're talking this morning with Natanya Vanderlaan about whole heart Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's to everybody. We have uh, 30 seconds. I just want to say thank you very much for joining me this morning in studio. It's so great to see you and we hope to have you back.
3: Thanks, Brad. It's always a pleasure.
0: Good morning. It's Brad Furlan, your Monday host of Vermont Viewpoint here in historic Waterbury, Vermont on WDEV. My next guest uh, I'm really excited about, um, Dan Marlowe, is the uh, athletic director at BFA St. Albans. And I will say right up front that I actually um, had the pleasure and honor of um, coaching, uh, For Dan, Uh, a few years back, I coached uh, a BFA high school uh, men's uh, tennis team, and uh, it was a remarkable experience. I really valued um, you, Dan, as athletic director and everything you bring to the program.
4: Thanks. Thanks very much, Brad. It's a pleasure for me to be here and see you again. So this is uh, all about relationships. Uh, as it was back when you were coaching, and this is one of the results of that.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've been doing uh, uh, athletic director and coaching and teaching for a long time. Can you, can you give us a little background?
4: Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, went to Johnson State College before it was the University of Vermont at Johnson uh, and um, uh, got my degree in teaching at that point. Um, and then I was fortunate enough, I worked at Milton High School for a year, taking care of study halls and had the good fortune and um, blessing to work with Dick Stewart, who was a longtime uh, official and educator in Vermont. And um, he kind of took me under his wing that first year at Milton. And as a result of that uh, contact, I was able to um, get a job at uh, St. Albans, which is where I grew up. As a physical education teacher at the city city elementary school for 12 years, um, during that process I worked on my master's in administration and uh, attained that um, and made a uh, <clears throat> had the fortune of, of my first athletic director's gig. I was there at BFA for, or at uh, the city school for 12 years. My first athletic director's opportunity was at Missisquoi Valley, which was a huge rival for BFA. Uh, at that time, it still is. It was a great opportunity for me because it made me, uh, learn how to appreciate people irregardless of what color shirt they wear or where they, what bus they ride in and on. Um, so I, I did that for three years at, uh, at Missiscoi, and then the opening at BFA came and the opportunity to come back home I had coached at BFA for a number of years while I was teaching at the city school came about so the opportunity to come back to BFA was great for me and I, I loved the three years at Missiskoi but uh, it was a good opportunity to come back home and uh, haven't left I've uh, been there, this is my 30 I'm starting my 36th year at um, at BFA as the athletic director so 39 years as an athletic director 12 years as a teacher, elementary school teacher, uh, so I've been pretty fortunate to be able to span the gamut of a number of things for in education for 50. This is my I started my 51st year.
0: It's quite remarkable, and you started when you were nine, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I
4: tell everybody. Nobody's going to believe that. <laughs> uh,
0: so you mentioned that you um, grew up in St. Albans, and when I moved to uh, Franklin County back in 1980, one of the really wonderful experiences I had was on Main Street. there was a um, very nice grocery store that your um, parents ran Marlowe's and uh it I remember your parents well I remember how kindly your your dad was and how friendly i was you know I was young and new to St Albans and they had hot roasted nuts on the counter and uh, just a, a wonderful store.
4: You know, it was a great opportunity for me uh, because we purchased that when I was in like elementary school, and uh, my dad had worked there for thirty-some odd years uh, for the previous owner, Carol Heflin. Mm-hmm. And um, so we grew up. That was a family operation. My sister and I, and mom and dad, and the people, the other people that he hired. Um, we grew up there, and so you learned how to how to work to be on time uh, because that's how he ran the business. You know, it was um, an opportunity for you to put your best foot forward um, because we were selling the product. We were selling who we were. And it, he taught me a long time ago that it was um, all about people first, that doesn't matter what you're selling, uh, but you've got to put the people first. And so I, I learned um, tremendous number of lessons uh, growing up in that environment. So it was was a great opportunity for me and kind of laid the foundation for who I am today.
0: Yeah, you had mentioned Dick Stewart and Milton as a a mentor, but clearly your dad, too, a mentor, right?
4: Oh, absolutely, because, um, you know, you had to be on time when you worked. You had to treat people um, uh, with respect when they came in the room uh, or came in the store. Um, and so it, it was uh, important uh, standards and values that we had growing up, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in that environment. Uh, you know, I, I went into education because of uh, the influence of um, the first male teacher th- uh, that I had growing up in an elementary school, a Catholic school, taught uh, by nuns. And so the first male teacher I had was when I was a freshman in high school, and it was a man named Frank Zakresky. Mm-hmm. And he ended up being a longtime educator in St. Albans for like 40 plus years. And uh, I had the opportunity when I went to BFA as the athletic director to work with him. Uh, and it was because of him um, that I wanted to get into education. Uh, because everybody at that point in time in high school, at St. St. Mary's High School, is a small school, private school in St. Albans at the time. Every male there wanted to be like Frank Sikresky. Wanted to. He was a basketball coach, a baseball coach, and a social studies teacher, and so everybody wanted to be like him. And uh, I certainly was included in that list. And and that's it was his influence that drove me to go into education and to do the stuff I'm doing today.
0: The positive role modeling, um, so important. You mentioned you were teaching at the city school and coaching at BFA St. Albans. What were you coaching back then?
4: I coached uh, soccer and basketball at the JV level and assisted with the varsity teams back when I first started and also coached the junior high teams at the city school and uh, ironically we'd have a tough time pushing this through today but the the first contract that i signed um i was expected to coach um junior high basketball junior high soccer and put on this uh gymnastics show as part of our phys ed curriculum um for $400 and uh, wow and we and the expectation was that you would do your first year uh you wouldn't get paid for your first year until the start of your second year. They wanted to make sure that you were there for the duration. So at some point, um, whenever you leave, you're, you're still going to be a year in that um, that was owed you. But that's the way it was at the time. You know, you're, they hired teachers and, and people. They wanted them involved with kids, uh, and the cost or the amount that you got paid was immaterial. And it was a great opportunity for me. I grew tremendously from that experience and, and getting a chance to give back to uh, the community that I grew up in.
0: Were you used to that? Did you get a paycheck at Marlowe's when you worked or not?
4: <laughs> the paycheck at Marlowe's was the food that was already, uh, the, on the plate at night. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but I, I had nothing to complain about because the paycheck also was everything else that I got from that. And, uh, w- you know, we were expected to contribute because that's what we do. And uh, But we also didn't want for anything. Uh And the question was, was it a want or a need? If it was a need, they found, dad found a way to make that happen. If it was a want, then he'd expect that we did that.
0: Yeah. And St. Albans has always been an amazing giving community. It has rallied when it, when it needs to for so many things. In fact, I was, um, looking on Facebook, of course, um, the, world's largest snowman in Taylor Park came up uh the other day and I was I remember I think I was working at the St Albans Messenger at the time and wrote a column but all of these kids getting together in a very positive way and we we'll, we're going to be getting into this a little bit more in our discussion today but these are the healthy things that that happen in communities.
4: You know, and you hit the nail on the head when you when you talked about the community rallying to support people because that's what they do. You know, um, we had um, uh, a senior in high school come and see me um, that's been like 20 years ago or 15, 20 years ago and 2001 actually is when she came in. Uh, because we just found out that a local person in the community uh, was diagnosed with cancer. She wanted to do something that would um, help benefit him. That person, Ross Tooth, you probably remember Ross, uh, um, being the person he is or was, didn't want all that attention. Uh, her idea that she got from her mom was to, um, was to have a, a powder puff football game, uh, she used to do that when she was from uh, Massachusetts, and they used to do that when she was in high school, her mom. Uh, so the girl, Allie Berno, uh, was the one who came into my office, like, the first week in October and said, look, we want to try to do something to help Ross. Um, let's, what if we had a Padua football game with Miss Siskoy, which was a big rival and still is and everything? And, um, you know, so I said, well, if you want to help with that, we'll, we'll do that. We can make it happen. So we pulled it off in like two weeks and made like six thousand dollars, and which we thought was tremendous at the time. But then, as it has developed over the years, um, we donated that money to the Jim Bashaw Fund in honor of Jim, who's a longtime coach in the community and a great friend of many people, um, and also. Um, as we built relationships with Camp Tecumta, uh, part of the money went to Camp Tecumta, which was cancer research. Part went to the Jim Bashaw Fund uh, and for local people that were struggling with their battle with cancer. As the program grew now, we couple that with our homecoming events in the fall. And as the event has grown... Um, The last probably five or six years for that one event, we've raised over $30,000 each year.
0: It's quite amazing. We're talking with uh, Dan Marlowe, Athletic Director at BFA St. Albans. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more of our conversation. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the internet to find businesses like yours are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search
2: let the radio vermont group digital services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location demographic and interest learn more at
0: rvgdigital.com. good morning it's brad furland wdev this is vermont viewpoint uh, we're in historic waterbury vermont the studio here is amazing there's Posters all over the walls of musicians and uh, entertainers of Vermont um, past, and the station still honors that with a lot of them coming in from time to time and playing their music and sharing their joy and sharing their gift. We're talking this morning with Dan Marlowe. He's uh, the um, athletic director for Bellows Free Academy in St. Albans, has been been doing it as long as most people can remember. I, I don't, you know, you're, you are you um, are an icon at the school, well-respected, um, of course. And I'll say that when I talked to Dan a few days ago, when we were talking about the show and stuff, I said, you know, sort of off the cuff, if I... If I Googled you, can I find some background stuff? And he goes, I don't know if you would find anything or not. Well, <laughs> the modesty of, of the director is, is apparent. And lo and behold, when I Googled, I've got pages of stuff that I printed out about Dan Marlowe and, and the awards that he's gotten over the years and, and all of that. And, and we can talk about that maybe in a little bit later in the show. You took, we talk about mentors, right? And, and, um, mentors for you you did sports did you do sports as well um in 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 grade school or high school or middle school i did
4: but it was a different time you know uh St. Mary's yeah elementary school and high school up until our senior year when we moved to central catholic which is now an elementary school in its own entity uh st albans town educational center as you come off the interstate ramp but at the time um that became uh, the high school of choice uh, for kids leaving St. Mary's. Um, so we had the parochial education all the way up through our junior year. Um, so the, the landscape and the facilities and the opportunities were a lot different then than they are now. I mean, we are really, really fortunate um, with everything, every aspect. The support that we get from the community is unbelievable. And that's true of every community because it takes a lot of people to, to make something happen positive in your community. And, and you know, our athletic programs are the, uh, the face of our community, can be. And, and, you know, we'll talk later about that can be good or it can be bad, depending upon what, what goes on. And we've been really fortunate. Uh, our community really cares about people, uh, as we alluded to with the – the powder puff football game and how that has rallied. We've been doing it for over 21 years, and we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last six or seven years for one event uh, has been over $30,000 a year for the last six years. And so it's, um, it's a great, oppor- great way for the community to um, get together and uh, take care of people who are struggling um, with the effects of cancer because it affects everybody. And um, people are not afraid to step forward and and we're very fortunate in that regard,
0: yeah, you had mentioned uh, Jim Basha, who um, passed away from cancer a, a beloved um, teacher at the high school and I'm reminded um, really years back or, or for a long time, BFA was a private institution actually, and then only became public you know a, a couple within the last couple of decades. But there was always the camaraderie of your colleagues, right? You were were your own community of support within the building.
4: It's been – that's a tremendous experience. You know, when I first went to BFA, it was still private at – or semi-private at that time. Right. uh, Because it was the only high school in St. Albans um, for all the kids there. Because the Central Catholic um, closed or the – after about three years in operation, because they couldn't uh, maintain the financial responsibilities, the church couldn't. So all of the kids that went were went through St. Mary's and then went to Central Catholic, then went to BFA. So BFA had to embrace everybody. So which was probably one of the best things that happened, because it gave everybody an opportunity to the same facilities and and experiences together, regardless of what size school they were in. Um, and yeah, it's been a um, A very close knit uh, faculty when when we first started, Um, and has maintained that. You still got people tend to stay there a long time, not just myself, but people tend to stay there, um, which I think is a reflection of um, the satisfaction they have of of working there.
0: Yeah, you've seen a lot of headmasters over the years, Uh, a lot of husband and wife teams as well teaching different. Subjects, but uh, definitely part of the community together, which is remarkable.
4: Yeah, it it's, it was a, a real family atmosphere, um, and and uh, encouraged people to come and teach here. You. You're right there, you know. Whether you're talking about the Boswicks uh, or the Davisons, uh, there was a lot of people I could name that doesn't mean anybody out here in the audience knows, but it's like that in every school. Uh, every school has their their own uh, niche and uh, uh, system of people in their community that help support them. And we're certainly uh, fortunate to have the people that we've had uh, support us for the last number of years.
0: So decades ago now, I can't believe, Chris, my gray hair has been with me for about 30 years, so it's hard to tell my age. Um, Two benefactors, um, if that's the way to say it, Collins and Pearlie to to local Franklin County uh community people uh collectively put up three million dollars to build a facility, the Collins Pearley Sports Complex. How did that change the dynamics of sports for for you and for the community?
4: Well, for for everybody, for the kids in the community, it was a tremendous impact. Um, both of those people um passed away within years of each other and had the same lawyer, John Kassane. And um, he, uh, through his um, encouragement, uh, they wanted to come up with a facility that would benefit kids in Franklin County and upgrade the facilities that they had. And, you know, now we have a tremendous 55-acre lot with... Soccer field, football field, stadium, baseball, softball, uh, lacrosse. Uh, and this because of the facility, the number of sports has grown tremendously in the last few years. Uh, obviously, um, everybody thinks of St. Albans. First and foremost thinks of hockey, but there's a whole other gamut of things that are going on now as a result of their contributions. Um and it's made it uh, – we're very fortunate. Our community is very fortunate because uh, the school was was gifted. BFA was gifted to the community. And then uh, they expanded. It was landlocked. And they expanded uh, when they took over what used to be a hospital. Uh, Before Kerbs Hospital came into play, uh, there was St. Albans Hospital, which is now part of BFA because there was no place for the high school to expand with the number of programs increasing and the number of kids coming in with the with the influx of kids that came from Central Catholic. There was no place to expand. So they took the existing what was a hospital after it had been closed for a number of years, renovated that and turned it into what is now BFA. BFA spans the two buildings with a connector that was built a couple of years ago uh, and completed uh, to keep kids safe uh, because at any point during a day, we could have six, seven hundred kids passing from one building to the next. Now the weather was not the issue because uh, they could all handle that. though the issue was, can we keep them safe when they're all out there in the connector between the two buildings? So we built an enclosed connector. Uh, a walkway, so to speak, which now connects those two buildings. The only real, the athletic event that we host still host at the high school is in the gymnasium. <clears throat> uh, but everything else is at the complex, and we're fortunate. I mean, we're a mile away uh, from the complex, and we've got this 55-acre uh, multi-field, multiple indoor facility with indoor tennis courts and the hockey rink. Uh, an aerobics room, our, our fitness program, has exploded uh, for the community. And I, and I think that if the two people that, uh, that fronted that money initially could see, looking down the road now, if they're looking down on us and could see the facility and how that has impacted uh, the entire community, uh, both for exercise and for athletic programs, uh, because we now have the space and the time to be able to do that. Before that, we were, the hockey rink was at Coop Field. There was events going on at Hardack. So it was kind of spread out all over St. Albans. And so when teams came to play, they weren't quite sure where they were going So at times. They certainly were, the Coopfield Field and, and the hockey community that joined together, Sim- similar situation as a complex, and, and built the the hockey program and build Coot Field um, and then we were fortunate to have a, the stepping stone to that was to go to the complex and now we've got beautiful indoor facility there which hosts not only athletic events and exercise opportunities but also community events that go on at the same time um, and that's where we hold our graduation which is uh, in the tennis court area and it's a wonderful spot for graduation when we can't hold it outside
0: it is a great spot for graduation and for uh, community events. There are, uh, the Rotary has been doing, um, a fundraising event for many years. I personally, um, have enjoyed the tennis courts. Um, and at one point when I looked in the mirror at one and uh, saw that I didn't even recognize myself because of my weight, I started walking the 1.7 miles around the facility, um, beautiful walking path that the, that the Rotary, um, helped put together. I had the, um, privilege of, of coaching for a couple years, um, with Dan, under Dan, and there were a couple things that were remarkable. One was that, um, we, I, I got, um, kids coming into my, onto my team who had never held a tennis racket before. <laughs> and we started off very fundamentally with them, but they, they were great attitude kids. Um, they were doing well in school, and they were good athletes. And in a short time, they were out on the tennis courts competing around the state. They were winning some matches. They were losing some matches. Their attitudes were good. They would come to a committed practice of five days a week for two to three hours at the complex that we talked about earlier. And so that's a remarkable thing. And then... You as an athletic director, not only did you, you were around to mentor, um, athletes, but you were mentoring us coaches. You wanted us to grow too. It was a, it was a collective growth effort. And even at the end of, um, when we finished a season, we'd have a conference and we'd talk about things that we could improve upon. Um, just a great, Great program, and I'm um, very appreciative. So, if you want to talk a little bit about yeah, that, yeah,
4: it it's interesting. I'll, I'll um, disagree with your comment that you worked under me because I, I like to think that we work together, um, and uh, because that's what you need to do uh, more so today than ever, ever before. Uh, I, I think every coach, every athletic director gets kids that come in. We're very fortunate. In our community, because people, the kids are expected to work hard. You know, you talked about growing up in my dad's store. where well, you're expected to be on time, be respectful, work hard while you're there, um, and no excuses. And don't blame anybody when things don't go right. Just find a solution. And so as a result, that's kind of like the culture in our community um, where kids are expected to work hard every day. And so if they're coming out even for the first time on a tennis team or a basketball team or a soccer team, they're expected to give everything that they've got and to be respectful of everybody around them. It gives us the opportunity to be able to take something that, that kids enjoy uh, and use that as a carrot to hopefully um, make them better, make them better people first and foremost, because at some point, they're not going to be able to move as quickly or laterally or forward forward and back as they do when they're 16, 17 years old. But they can always maintain the attitude and the values that they had and the standards that they had. And hopefully, they take that on with them and become contributing people in their community when they're the adults and they're raising a family. Um, because I think that's the most important thing. Uh, we, we say to kids all the time, you know... The outcome of the game does not define who you are. And oftentimes kids come back five, ten years later and we'll ask them, so, you know, do you remember the score of your first game of your junior year or your senior year? And they don't at all, but they'll remember who the people were on the team and they'll remember how they were treated. They'll remember uh, the, the support that the community gave them. And they'll come back and try to give back to their community, wherever that community is doesn't have to be just St. Albans because many of these kids now go off to college, get an education, and become hopefully contributing uh, members of whatever community they're going to grow in. And um, that's probably the most satisfying thing if they can take whatever lessons that that we have to offer. But it's a mutual thing. We learn and uh, we teach with the kids and the coaches every day. And it's the best gig to be in, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. And there was a lot of prep to coach. We, you had us, um, taking, um, courses in first aid in uh, in all sorts of things. Um, just before the season even started, there was, you, you really equipped us well to, to handle any situation. The, um, earlier today, one of my guests was Gregory Tetro, Jenna's Promise. And, there's a world out there right now with with a lot of drugs um, and addictions and stuff and let's talk about the importance of sports and I and I had mentioned that you know when I had kids um, coming in for um, two to three hours per afternoon or even six in the morning sometimes which was remarkable that they would show up and it was even more remarkable that I would show up um, <laughs> what it's, it's giving them something healthy. Um, so the importance of sports is, is pretty broad, right?
4: Yeah, there's lots of opportunities to learn, all of us. Um, we learn every day on uh, how to communicate with people uh, when things aren't going well, uh, because those are skills that you're going to have to use later on as you grow older and become an adult and start raising your own family, um, and it's – It's a great tool because it's so attractive and and attracts so much attention from everybody, from the news media. Uh, Everything you see has to do with being uh, taking care of yourself, being fit, uh, working hard. You listened last night before the Super Bowl game, and and they talked about the things that they needed to do in order to be successful. It's the same values that, that we're trying to teach kids at the high school level. It doesn't change. The money certainly changes for some people, but the reality is um, only 1% of all the kids in high school in the country are going to get a Division One scholarship, but they can all become contributing members of their community if they have a standard, if they have values, if they're not afraid to work hard, if they do things with enthusiasm, uh, and if most importantly, if they care for each other. Uh, and that's what has been the most troubling thing lately with all the stuff that gets all the attention uh, and grabs all the headlines it has nothing to do with the, the great kids that every school has it, it it takes the one instance when somebody has a lapse of judgment uh, and, or diminishing of values and it highlights that and it paints everybody with a broad brush I can tell you we've got we still have the best kids everybody said, well you know, it's it's, tu- it's not the same anymore. Kids aren't the same. No, kids are absolutely the same. Uh, the, the, their opportunity in the environment that they grow up in has changed tremendously. Uh, you know, they, um, they are being evaluated every day on social media. And before when we were going to school, you'd leave. You'd have a disagreement with somebody. <clears throat> you'd leave, come back the next day. You've already forgotten about what it was the disagreement was about. Today it follows them wherever they go, on their phones, on Snapchat, on Facebook, all the social media means that are out there keep kids constantly under pressure. Everybody's taking a picture today, picture of themselves or of some other event that's going on, um, and to to use sometimes against people. So it's uh, we've got the same kids; they just got a much more difficult uh, road. To follow uh, now with uh, everything that's out there and people quick to criticize them and everybody else. Um, so we spent a lot of time working on values. How do you face those challenges? Um, because we're, uh, it's, it's one of the most important lessons I think that kids have growing up. And kids need to understand that they matter to us. Whether they win the outcome of a game, wins or not, the outcome of a game relies on so many factors that we can't control. And so we're always telling the kids, you can't control the weather, you can't control the field conditions, can't control the crowd, you can't control the officials. (laughs) After last night's game, everybody's talking about all those things. Yeah, Okay. But there's no sense in, in focusing your attention on that instead of focusing your attention on what you can control. And you can control your attitude and your energy, your ability to care for other people around you and let people know how you feel in a respectful manner.
0: And the relationship with coaches to their athletes is um, has a high value as well. I mean, obviously the mentor, um, but they also can flag problems, right? You can see a kid walk into your practice and their head's down. You know, there's something going on. They flag it. You must get communication from your coaches saying, hey, I'm a little concerned about this person or, you know, we need to do something here.
4: Yeah, you know, we were talking earlier about um, the importance of mental health right now. And, and I alluded to the uh, thing that Dr. Landry from St. Michael's College said to us, what that um, mental health is the number one cause uh, for student athletes in the country. Um, and suicide, um, and the mental health aspect of the pressures that everybody is facing right now that we just alluded to with kids is much more paramount now than it ever has. Uh, kids are coming in with tons of baggage that you can't see. It's all inside. And so you as a coach uh, or a teacher or an athletic director and as a parent, you have to be aware of the, the signs and um, and don't be afraid to uh, in an age where nobody talks to anybody like we're doing now, uh, you, you send a text message or an email or something. Um, in, in this age everybody's there's no filter for all of that information so uh, we encourage kids to uh, and have the flags up when we see somebody that body language is less than appropriate at some point during the practice or after the practice they're going to take time to try to connect with them to try to find out what's going on and uh, I think kids are dying to uh, to get that information out they just want to know that somebody cares enough about them and not what
0: they do yeah because they may not be getting um, the care elsewhere at home or or whatever um, so what on on a we've got some serious notes we want to talk about one I recall um a loss of a, a senior to suicide um a few years back and we talked about Collins Perley being a facility of all use and in fact there was a memorial service at the at Collins Perley on the tennis courts um to to honor this student's life and I watched um you know somewhere in the audience or in the in the chairs your hockey team lining up in uniform and bravely, um, honoring, you know, um, and you too bravely honoring this student. And there, there are some hard and even with COVID and stuff, there really are some hard things that kids are facing these days. And it's now we're seeing more impact in the community, um,
4: Well, people now are more aware of the needs to be uh, caring and aware of the mental health issues that everybody faces. There's no age limit on that. And um, it's uh, that was an opportunity. We had a young man, a senior, who had had, uh, uh, before that, uh, three years of uh, ACL tears and successive ones. And... Uh, Tremendous young man who uh, loved to ski and and play lacrosse and and play uh, soccer and uh, very involved in the school community. Um, Outstanding person, outstanding athlete, um, so there was no warning signs. Uh, And I remember Dr. Landry from St. Mike saying to us, Don't blame yourself on this. If they wanted you to understand that they had a problem, they would have said something, and then you could reach out and try to get help for people. The ones who don't have any warning signs are the ones that you need to be most careful of. And so when you've got 1,000 kids in your school or or 500 kids or 400 kids, any number in the school, depending on the size of your school, you have a lot of people that you're interacting with. Um, I had a young guy say to me... um, the other day, uh, when I was talking to him on a behavioral thing, and uh, I recognized the name, and I've been around that community a long time, and and I said, uh, "Did you, what about your dad? Is your dad around? Uh, is he still in the area? And he said, um, Mr. Marlowe, you wouldn't uh, know my dad. He's not a very good person. Wow. He has spent a lot of time in jail. Yeah. And it's... We had no idea when we're walking in the halls. We're we're lucky. We have a lot of our kids participate in different events, whether it's athletic or the band or drama or chorus or whatever. We have outstanding programs in all those areas. But we've got so many kids that are carrying baggage around with them all day that um, we were not aware of. That was compounded three or four years ago with COVID because for the first time, not only the kids, but the adults uh, experienced something they never thought they'd ever see. We thought wearing masks was something that happened in a third w- world country, someplace on the other part of the continent, and we never, or the other part of the world, and never would involve us. And and yet we all had to experience that, and had to experience not spending Christmas and stuff with your family, and so you had the normal activities that going on that we had no idea that. Um, what the impact would be, and we certainly felt that with that young man who we miss every day, uh, as well as, uh, the COVID period that was followed closely by COVID experience, which rocked everybody's world, um, because people were dying. And I think everybody thought it was going to go away, it was a, some kind of a scam by the, uh, right, by the pharmaceutical companies, I guess, or whatever, whatever right. their agenda was. Um, but the reality was people were dying.
0: So we've got, um, Lately in the news, there's been dysfunction in sports events across the state, and I don't know if we have to sort of label any particular one, but we need some guidance on this. What, you know, where, where do you think we should be taking this? What are we learning from it and how can we make it better?
4: Yeah, if, if we're not, um, planning, uh, to prepare, we're gonna, End up planning to fail. And the preparation's got to come from everybody Um, parents, uh, school teachers, and administrators, uh, coaches, uh, people in the community. Um, And step back and uh, take a look at how fortunate we are to have the things we are and to be surrounded by the people that we're surrounded by. You know, people say to me sometimes, how are you going to do this, uh, this job? And uh, I think Kobe Bryant said it best before he died in his car, in his plane accident, was somebody said to him, well, what advice would you give somebody? Uh, And he said, find something that you love to do. Do what you love to do. If you do that, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, And that's how I feel. And I, I think we need to take a step backwards and take a look at our values and our standards. Take a look at um, caring for people, uh, reaching out for people. If you notice somebody's having a bad day, try to find out what's causing that so you can support them because we have no idea where this is going to come from. And everybody thinks now that uh, you know the admission to a game gives them the right to say or do whatever they want to do. Um, and to vent their frustration, there is tremendous anxiety built up with everybody now. And so, when you're going to an athletic event, where, especially in the wintertime, where you're in a rink or in a gym and you're right on top of people, um, that can be an opportunity for, if you've got six, seven, eight hundred people there at an event, that could be an opportunity for many of those people bringing baggage in with them that you can't see, but that they're going to share with you. And uh, you know, I don't think we're we're not building rocket ships here. All we simply need to do is to have a plan, have a dream as to where we want to go, uh, work hard at supporting people. We have to learn to get back to being there for people. We're not uh, we're not competing against everybody all the time. Yeah, we compete in a game, but it's a game, and uh, it's nothing more important than that. And that person that you're hollering at, that player that, that you're hollering at from the stands is somebody's kid, son or daughter. And the interactions that occur when all of the comments come flying out and you hear everything and you're constantly on guard to make sure that everybody uh, is okay. Everybody including your athletes but also the team you're competing against. And it's quite a juggling act. And when it doesn't work, is when it explodes, and then everybody says, well, what's wrong with everybody today? Well, what's wrong is that they just got to step back a little bit and not forget about uh, caring, loving people, and serving people and making sure that you're there for them. Because long after all, all the games are over with, that's what people are going <coughs> to remember. And we got to do a better job of doing that. And that means everybody.
0: And it's not um, the majority in, in a lot of... Cases it it can be very isolated incidents of of anger that sort of just kind of evolves quickly and are the coaches talking with the kids a lot about this now and are the is there communication to parents how how are these how are we making this
4: yeah, better Yeah, you, you remember the parent we'd have parent meetings before each season. Uh, we talk about the roles that everybody has. You know, there's really four roles. You're a, uh, an athlete, uh, a coach, an official, or a spectator. But you can only be one of them. Most of the people, uh, in, that are there at the games are, have either outlived their, uh, eligibility, uh, because they graduated <laughs> a long time ago, um, or their ability to play. So be a good spectator, but let the kids play. They don't have to be walked through every step on the, on the floor and trying to relive your life through them. Let them play the game. Athletics is the best opportunity to take risks uh, because the results most times are not fatal, fatal or final. Where you can take a risk and if you make a mistake, it's not like driving a car under the influence and then you uh, could hurt yourself or somebody else. There are mistakes that go on in a game, and how are you going to respond, and how are you going to get up when things don't go your way? And those are the great lessons that kids learn and that coaches spend time teaching kids. Um, But we've got to work together with the spectators and the officials uh, and the players and the coaches work together to create an environment where um, you're allowed to fail and not be successful.
0: Yeah, so we've got one minute, um, Dan, and I so appreciate you being on the show today. Um, you talked about um, coaching, you know, and, and being athletic director for a long time. I know you teach spinning classes and you keep fit and you have been a tremendous leader in in the community. There's work to be done on um, the behavior, but it's really about valuing sports right for the benefit of, of the community. We talked about that and cheerleading, not not taking it to levels that you know we we just don't want uh, we don't want to have to do
4: you know we had we had we hosted a dance competition with seven schools that came into BFA on Saturday and it was a tremendous experience where everybody was supporting each other
0: all right well thank you very much for being on the show and we look forward to talking with you again
4: thank you very much Brad.